And with that, our speaker for this evening is Jimmy from Back to Basics. Set this out. Well, I'll drop this sooner or later. Hey, group. I'm Jim. I'm an alcoholic. What's left of Jim? Uh, I haven't been out this way in a while. I, it's funny coming out here. Chris had to give me directions in Mark, and I used to do a lot of drinking and some other really nasty stuff up the road here, so it should be second nature, but a lot of what I did was so selfish and self-centered, I I couldn't tell you exactly where I was, I just know I was drinking and drugging wherever I was, and uh, I did some really cruddy stuff at this part of town, and then I would leave, because people don't like it when you do really cruddy stuff out this part of town, and, uh, but uh, anyhow, I'll tell you a little bit about my drinking story, and then get up into the steps kind of quick, I like to talk about steps, I like to go through the steps and share my experience and strength with them. Uh, I was born at an early age. I think I was in a blackout because I don't remember a whole lot about it. Uh, but it, like most of my drinking, it was just me screaming and hollering until somebody smacked me around, and then, uh, and then I went all about my business. So that's I'm pretty sure that's how it all got started. But uh, I started drinking at an early age, and it wasn't my dad's fault. It wasn't because the, the moon was full or anything like that. I just, I, I don't know, just felt like I, I hung around with older people. My brother was older than me, and it was convenient, and that's what they were doing, you know. Uh, my dad, here's a little funny side story. My dad, when he had friends over, was always like, watch the little bastard. He'll drink your beer, man. Don't set it down anywhere near him. And now, to this day, I was just... My dad's not here with us anymore, but if, if he was, I, I would have to tell him. I just picture Bill Wilson in the room with red flags. Over here, man. Don't give this one one. He's one of us. Leave this one alone. And uh, and that's what I would do. Is My dad said when he would sit his beer down for any length of time, I would drink it. And uh, I, I wasn't an alcoholic then. I just uh, I just liked the taste of it. <laughs> you know, I wasn't running and ripping and stealing and lying and cheating my family and friends and, and all that stuff yet. But uh, I was definitely setting up the conditions. Give you an idea. I remember cigarettes were, I think it was 50 cents a pack. Uh, I turned 39 yesterday. I guess the cat's out of the bag. Um, and they went up to a dollar, and everybody was freaking out because they were going up so much. And in my head, I'm thinking, that's a lot of money because you can save up a couple dollars back then and get a six-pack or a 12-pack, and you're good to go. You know, why would you smoke? Because smoking doesn't give me... I smoke a couple of cigarettes and I throw up, so I never really saw the attraction. Yet when I drink a few, if I throw up, it's really not a problem. It's really room for more is the way I used to see it. But uh, so my thinking at an early age was pretty much... A, was was around drinking and drugging. I, I, I lived in a neighborhood that wasn't rich. I didn't... Nobody dropped me in the middle of Bel Air as, as a poor white kid. I just uh, I just saw it that way. I just saw it. You know, I had the coupons at school for the free lunches, and I had my brother hand me down clothes and shoes. And if I had that, you know, I mean, and police were always at the house, and uh, I was short, and I didn't think I was very smart, you know, and, and I just, I saw it as me. You know, I didn't realize that I didn't, again, didn't live in Bel Air, so it wasn't like people around me were driving limos and all to school, or parents were rich. It was just, I just started out of the gate feeling less than and not smart enough, and just uncomfortable in my own skin is the best way to put it. And uh, I remember when I started drinking and uh, I had a chance, I've had a lot of opportunities to look at, you know, what what alcohol did for me through the years. And, and when I started drinking or what it, and then what it did to me. But when I started drinking, uh, 
I have to keep my language straight here. It gave me the efforts. I just didn't care what people thought of me anymore. I mean, I knew I was still short, not smart, and all that stuff, but I didn't care. In fact, I, I became proud of it. I was like, just, just say something about how short I am, and I'm going to smack in the teeth. You know what I mean? Because I love getting beat on, man. Now, you can look at me and tell I, I've been beat on more than once. And, uh, and I haven't, and I'm not a, you know, I'm not a winner. I just like to fight, you know, and, uh, so when I got to drinking, uh, I didn't care. And I'm that guy, I remember some parties in high school where there'd be hundreds of people and, uh, me and another guy in this fellowship that some of you well know, we'd be somewhere within arm's reach of the keg and we'd just stand there all night staring at each other, praying to God that the other one wouldn't say nothing, you know, and drinking. And hoping nobody else, everybody would just leave us alone. And uh, so what I'm getting at is that I'd be in a room full of people and still be all alone. And perfect with that. That was my idea of being social, you know, is, is just just leave me alone. You know, I, I, let, I go around people because that's what people do, you know. That's what you're supposed to do. But ultimately inside, I just want to be left alone pretty much. And uh, I definitely don't want to be confronted with the truth about myself. So I, I drank a lot to say the least, and uh, graduated high school, had a good job. Uh, I was sharing on the way down here that I, I had a corner cubicle with the USF&G overlooking the Inner Harbor when I graduated, suit and tie, uh, once a month, three-piece suit to work, and everything was great, and uh, just couldn't stand it, man. Uh, I'm, I'm around all these people, and, and now from looking at it, I realized it was, I didn't feel comfortable around these people. I'm in a suit and tie, and I'm not as smart as they are. I, this guy's got a better suit than me, man, and he bought his at the same place, man. He, you know, and anyhow, just that, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like the monkey in a suit. You know, another guy could wear the same suit, and I'd be like, man, it looks good on him. And I wear it, and I'd be like, man, I suck. You know what I mean? <laughs> suits, suits suck. You know, but it's funny if I'm butt naked, I still feel the same way. You know what I mean? It had nothing to do with the suit, but uh, so. They would let me take flex time for lunches, which is like, it's like alcoholic nirvana. You can go to lunch and come back when you want. As long as you work your 40 hours, I was like, wow, this is, this is cool. Except like when you punch in Friday, the computer tells you the hours you got. And I'd punch in and be like, oh, crud. I got to work like 20 hours today to get paid Friday, man. What happened? <laughs> I remember going to lunch Monday. Here it is Friday. I got like 12 hours in, you know what I mean? And uh, my buddies, they would take me places, you know. I lived, uh, I worked downtown, so there was a lot of, you know, you could go up to the block and find places to drink. And they'd know, get me a couple beers, uh, and then they'd leave. And I don't remember them leaving. And, and it, so that was right out of the gate. You know, I wasn't lying, cheating, and stealing, and all that stuff. But I, I was having my fun, is what I'd like to say. And uh I was I was going to college in the evenings, and that was really cutting into my drinking time. So I, I did what any of us in that situation would do. I quit school, you know, really. Just, I mean, I didn't even have to think about it. I'm like, man, it's like, ah, school sucks. I'd rather drink. I think I'll drink. Uh wasn't a whole lot of inventory going on there. Uh, I wanted what I want, so I, I opted to drink. And so that's what I did, and then I lost that job. Uh, I didn't lose it. It's still there. It's just somebody else shows up and punches in every morning and does my job and gets paid for it. But uh, they asked me to leave. They fired me. They didn't ask me to leave. I love it. I used to share that early on. I was asked to leave the bank. Now they didn't like, would you please leave? Or like, get out. You're fired. You know what I mean? That's not real delicate. 
And uh, so I, I took a job with Bristol Myers, and I, I usually don't share the name. I took a job with them up in Stanford, Connecticut, and it lasted one day. I went through the – it was tough to get in there. It's like NSA and uh, because of the, the nature of the business. It's tough to get into, and they're concerned with uh, certain types of elements coming in there. So I got in. I don't know how, but I did, and uh, it, the job lasted till lunchtime. And uh, yeah, that, they don't give you a really good severance package when you last like four hours, so you know. And there's no stock options or nothing to fall back on. Uh, I went to lunch and. Uh, you know, there's no place around this place, but a little bar up the street, and that's where I went. And I come back, and the guy was all in my face, smelling it. And I hate when people are in my face. And uh, I kept thinking, what is this dude's problem, man? I mean, he's literally like right there where I would turn around, you know, and say, come back. And the funny part of the story, I try to see the humor and everything, is that in the morning, you know, they took me around and, and introduced me to everybody on the floor. And, and at lunchtime, security was walking me back by these same people. I'm like, hey, I got you. <laughs> you know, and they're probably thinking this guy's one of those, you know, at the time that I was there, someone had blown up one of their buildings right up the street, you know. So that I'm hoping they think I was just one of them nuts who blow up buildings and not an alcoholic. And uh, God forbid. So uh, they gave me a week's paycheck to leave. And I thought that was just as cool as I get. They're going to pay me not to work. And, uh, and I remember leaving out of there just, and really, I really wasn't all that humiliated by the experience as much as I was. I got to get this cashed. I got drinking to do. And I come out of the black out a couple of days later in the hotel with the door wide open, all my stuff gone. Uh, and no way to pay for my bill. So I did what alcoholics did. I Look, there's a bird, <laughs> Brian says. And when they, and when people weren't looking at me, I, I threw myself in the truck and laughed. Come back to Baltimore again. And, get, you know, the years are piling up, and, I, and um, the self-esteem's getting worse because by now my friends are putting their lives together, and family members expect me to be doing the same, and it ain't happening. So I, I, uh, I took off to Colorado. You know, it's a big part of my story, and, and that Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, they talk about uh, was it geographical changes. Mine was always just like, I want to go see the world, man. Anywhere where I'm not on probation, I want to go see there, man. Wherever the police ain't looking for me is where I want to go, man. And uh, um, I used to, I had read Kerouac's book on the road again like a dozen times, man. I just thought, man, that lifestyle, that's romantic and that's just cool, man. And uh, really what it is is pathetic. If you look at it really from the truth side, it, you know, when you can put all your stuff in a shoebox and take it on the road and given, that's not cool, man. That's pathetic. And uh, I got out to Colorado and I was the cat's meow because there was like 2,000 people in town. Uh, one circle, a pizza shop, bank, hardware store, grocery store, a bar, and a police station in town. And the other buildings, you know, it was closed down and there was no not, they had one traffic light in town that flashed red all the time and uh, I had moved to Mayberry and it was perfect because nobody knew me nobody knew my games my lies and I was able to put on this front that lasted about as long as the job did in Connecticut because I started drinking right away and uh, people saw me right away or as I like to say that Jim showed up and ruined the parties what happened and uh, 
I, I took a place to live right behind the bar. It was an empty field behind the bar. It was the only bar in town, so you know, obviously I had to live behind it. And uh, so at night, they would uh, ask me to leave, <laughs> get out, and um, I would try to make it home. And the joke in town with the people that had jobs was uh, to see how far I, I'd actually made it. And into the field, into the road, and I remember snuggling up to the mailbox because it was out on the street. Once I made it, like through the threshold of the door into the house, too, man, passed out. And I just thought that was. And then they, I would go to the grocery store when I had a few bucks, and uh, I, I got up to one of the checkout lines, and the lady was looking at me and talking to her friend, and she's like, "You're Jim." I'm like, "Yeah." In a small town, they knew my name, and I was like, "You're that guy that that lays in the street." And on the house and all that, and I remember just feeling like, like I was in school again. You know, I was like, "Yeah, that's me." <laughs> Shut up, move it along now. You know, and they weren't coming over baking cookies and stuff like that. They were, you know, telling stories about me that weren't good. I do remember the Colorado nights, man. Just billions of stars because a lot of times I would lay out in the field, wishing, man, that's not my bedroom ceiling. Ah, crud. <laughs> yeah. And and they got prairie dogs out there, which is just a... <laughs> it's a glorified rat is all it is, man. And after a while, they they get comfortable with it, a little too comfortable with it, you know. And, I, and you know how it is when you're just laying somewhere and you're just too dog, you're like, oh, crud. This just sucks, man. I'm not doing this tomorrow night. Tomorrow night I'm going to make it to the street. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, so it was fun for like 20 minutes. <laughs> so I did what an alcoholic would do. I, I was coming up in age, and uh, I, I took a hostage. Uh, I found a woman, and I fell in love with her, man. She was beautiful, smart, funny, everything I didn't deserve. So I, I lied through my teeth to her, you know. I mean, just every word out of my mouth was a lie, and uh, she was buying it. So I had to keep this one. You know, and she was amazing. I, I believe God puts people in our lives for a reason, and I've learned a lot from her. And most of it was through pain, but um, and pain I inflicted. And so her family didn't like me because I drank a lot. There's a shock. And uh, so I decided we'd move to Denver. It was on the other side of the Rocky Mountains and away from them, and I could start over again, you know, and... Uh, that's what we did. I, I hitchhiked on I-70, the same on-ramp that Ted Bundy had tried to catch a ride. I didn't know this. You know, he killed somebody right there in Grand Junction. For those of you who don't know, he was a serial killer that traveled along I-70, uh, killing people. And there's Jim. I spent two days on that ramp trying to get a ride. And I, I couldn't figure out why. Like, hey, hey. Like, no thanks. One Ted Bundy's enough. And I had the beard going and the hair. And they're like, and, and I couldn't understand it. I'm like, man, they're going, it's like there's no real stops between the Rocky Mountains, man. Help a brother out, man. And, uh, and I, the only thing I remember packing, I had a little duffel bag, was two fists of tequila. And, uh, and I think like a pair of underwear and a toothbrush. And I really didn't need the underwear or the toothbrush. But uh, I didn't know where else to put it. So um, I, uh, I got a ride with this guy that was a raging drunk, man. True. And uh, he kicked me out of the truck going off I-70 because I, you know, I was drunk and I got mouthy with him. And he, Fortunately, I was through the Rocky Mountains. 
because it was December, I remember, and it was... You don't want to get dropped off in the middle of the Rocky Mountains in December, I'll put it that way. Uh, it's after-school special movies of people eating each other are made from such trips, man. And uh, so when he dropped me, I remember you could see the city lights, and he's like, get out, man. And I got out, and uh, I looked out at the city, and I remember it's beautiful. And I saw a neon light, ding, and I went right for it. Shanked up the money I didn't really have, if you know what I mean. It was for other things, and all. it was bad, you know. I was going to get right settled in and get a job and send back for her, and, all. man, I just drank it right up. But uh, I did what we do, you know. I robbed, cheat, stole, uh, got some money together. I was robbing mailboxes. It was around Christmas time. So I went robbing mailboxes, man. You gotta rob like a thousand mailboxes to get twenty bucks, man. People don't, people don't send money in Christmas cards like in the good old day, you know. Cheap bastard. So anyhow, uh, and, and I remember I would rip open the mail and it'd be like a Christmas card for Tommy, and if it wasn't the money, I'd be all, I put it back. You know, I'm a nice guy. I'm a nice guy. You know, and I really thought, well, I'm putting it back, you know. So uh, I started, I got a job, sent for her, but um, in the meantime, and I respect Alcoholics Anonymous, many of you know that, but uh, I got, I started running around with uh, a woman named Crystal Meth for a long time, and uh, it's the only woman I ever cheated on my wife with, and uh, I started spending a lot of time with her, I was staying up for days at a time, man, and it was bad, and uh, I loved it because I could drink. And go to work and not have to fool around with, like, bathing and eating and stuff like that, man. It was ideal. I really thought I was on to something, you know. And uh, three days into this trip, you know, it's all funny. And reality starts getting a little twisted and things aren't what they seem. And four or five days, it's kind of funny. But after that, some of you can relate. You start believing it. And that's where you cross that line into a, in a insanity is all it is because... Six and seven days, things ain't right, and put it that way. And uh, one day I decided it'd be a good day for her to die, and I tried to come out of a blackout, and I was trying to kill her. We weren't fighting or nothing. There was no fighting at all. i just come home, and she was sleeping, and I jumped on top of her and tried to kill her. Don't know why. Honestly, God, I don't know why. And I've spent time looking at it and talking to shrinks and this and that. And, uh have inventory to thank God, but... um. Uh, so she jumped out and ran in the tub, locked the door, and uh, God struck me sober, just as sober as I'm standing here now. And I, I kicked the bathroom door in because I'm going to save her, and that didn't calm her down at all. <laughs> but knocking wasn't working. In my defense, if she would have let me in, we both, I could have came in and locked the door behind myself, we both would have been safe in the bathroom. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm thinking. And it didn't dawn on me at all that she was hiding from me. Not only did I kick the door open, I kicked the whole frame off. I'll never forget it because I'm a little guy. And I hit it, boom, and the whole thing fell in. I was like, oh, crud, shit, hit the door. So I, I run inside, and I, and I pull the door out of the way, and she's in the tub all curled up and shaking. And uh, I remember I sat down on the toilet, and I, and I, I would reach out to touch her, and uh, her whole body would shake from top to bottom. Her hair would stand up as I got closer to it. She had these fine blonde hairs up her back, and they would stand up. 
and I watched her hair on her head shake so hard it looked like a mannequin, like it was a wig on a mannequin, and I was just like, what the hell is going on here, man? You know, she was so, and she wasn't even looking at me. She had her eyes closed and could feel, pardon me, so she could feel, is anybody in there? She could feel um, me getting close to her, and I remember one of those moments of clarity where I was just thinking, this isn't what I want to be. This isn't what I signed up for, you know. I'm smarter than this. You know, I got family that loves me. I, I got a fairly decent, you know, I graduated. I'm capable of holding a good job. And, and in high school, when they ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? I don't remember putting a drug-addicted drunk who beats on his wife and steals from kids out of their Christmas cards, man. You know, but that was one of the, the glorious places alcohol had taken me to. And it didn't ask my permission, you know. It was just one day I showed up and there I was. It was a moment of clarity, and, and I believe I was granted the gift of, uh, of the truth. I really saw what was going on with, with none of this, none of, none of these rationalizations and all that in my head. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but when that happens, I need a drink. So that's what I did. And uh, I, st- I jumped into a bottle of tequila, and, and things got worse, you know. The, now I'm at that point in my life where sobriety is hard. Staying sober became my pro- became the enemy, you know. And um, so I come back to Baltimore. I remember she's like, "Well, what are we gonna do?" And this was like two days later, and, and a few fifths later. And I'm like, "We nothing. You're gonna pack everything here in, in paradise, and you take it that way, and I'll fit everything I can fit in my truck, and I'm going back that way." And that was my answer to all vice problems. Run and hide. Leave me alone, and I'll run and hide. And uh, I got back to Baltimore, and Jim showed up and ruined the party again. And uh, it was no time at all, man. I just, whew, the things running around in my head, and uh, I couldn't stay drunk. I have a great friend of mine, Ron, that I met first day of kindergarten. You know, him and his dad put me up on his couch. God bless him. And, and uh, his dad would come home from work and give me a pint of vodka, I remember, because I hated vodka. I didn't have the heart to tell him. You know what I mean? I don't want to be like, hey, could you bring me uh, some tequila instead? You know what I mean? Having a hard time here, you know, but he didn't because he didn't know what else to do. And we would sit at nights. So I'd get some drinks in me. He'd come. And if all alcoholic can relate to this, man, I could just, I, my body knew when he was coming home. I could feel him coming with that bottle, man. And, uh, We'd, I'd get a few drinks in me, he'd shower, and he'd come down, and we'd get to talking, man, for hours on end, man. And sure, I was pouring my heart out to the guy, but I just wasn't ready, you know, to truly let go of these things and do anything about it. I thought I had a monster inside of me that was uh, just would show up when he felt like it. It never dawned on me that this monster only shows up when Jim gets a drinking. And uh, so I went to anger management. I was seeing a shrink once a week. You know, I was paying a hundred dollars. And I actually I went to see him the first time, and I, I only shared a little bit of the truth about him. He's like, "Oh no, I'm gonna need to see you a whole bunch more than this." And I'm like, "Oh, come on, man!" And uh, I remember it. And the big book talks about uh, was it little wonder those in the medical profession have y'all know what I'm talking about. Much hope for our chance of recovery. Because I would sit there paying this guy money in the leather chair. I probably bought him. He would sit, and I would lie through my teeth to him, man. And I would make sure he was listening every now and then. Hey, I punched a baby today. Hey, I was just saying I got you. You know what I mean? And uh, after a few weeks of this, he was sitting there, and he had his head to the side. Like, he's got all these sports memorabilia, and I'm pretty sure he's nowhere near where 
listening to me. So I said, tell me, Doc, what do you think? I'm like, what do you think? He said, I think your thinking's insane. And he went right on back to staring at it. I'm like, what? This is... Yeah, your thinking's insane, man. Said, Hold up here, hoss. I said, tell me you didn't just say that. And he's like, oh, yeah. I'm like, tell you what, dude, you're going to validate my parking and I'm going to leave out of here before things get work really bad around here. Oh, slow down. Don't tell me to slow down, dude. Put his hands up. My mom like, that's it, man. I said, calm down. Don't tell me to calm down, man. Whatever you do, don't tell me to calm down. I'm about to split you in your head, man. And I remember he's just like, you know, out to my secretary and she validated the parking. He's like, I had like 15 minutes left, too, and I'm cheap. You would have thought I'd at least sit there for that 15 minutes. But uh, anyhow, the reason I bring that up is because when you walk out of this shrink's office in Towson, there's one of those bars down the end that serves nice fruity drinks with umbrellas in them, and there's my car this way, and it, I'm not the fruity umbrella in my drink kind of guy. That's where I ended up. I know this because sometimes during the night they grab me, get out! Oh, <laughs> Screw y'all you, but I was drunk by then, and the reason I bring that story up is because I didn't make that decision. I got upset, I got my feelings hurt, I got drunk. You know, there, there's a there's a pattern here. And I didn't make that because I didn't have a license, the car wasn't mine, and I was on the other side of town. I knew I had to stay tight till I got back to the other side of town at least. But that thinking was gone when I got my feelings hurt. So I'd been in out of AA and since 89, actually. I'd, I'd, I've been to a lot of meetings, you know, but, uh, you know. It stuff didn't apply to me. I wasn't an alcoholic and loved your cookies and your coffee. Phew. South Baltimore General Hospital, man. Candy would make cookies, and I'd be the first one there on Sundays, man. I know I ticked her off. Phew. She would never have nothing to say to me, man. She'd come in with them cookies just knowing I was all high up, eating all our cookies before everybody got there. <laughs> yeah, I did get a chance to make an amends to her, but... Uh, uh, I, and I would leave out of that meeting. I was telling um, Jen on the way up here that if you hit the lights just right, you can be at Dreams Inn in 10 minutes. You know? And, and Miss Dot would give me a, a beer for a 24-hour chip. You know, it really was perfect setup. You know, so I just, I mean, I knew y'all had a way out. I'd been exposed to it, and, and I would see people coming in that AA, and get sober. And one of the advantages uh, to being around AA and not staying sober is watching people get sober and not being able to deny the results. So I'd go there in Harbor Hospital, General, South Baltimore General Hospital would have a detox, and they would bring them down, and these people had gowns and paper shoes. And uh, they were losers, man, losers. They would come in, and I'd be like, man, look at these guys, man. They can't even put words together, man, and they shaking. And, and then you come back in uh, off the road or a bender and, and – They'd be staring at a guy at a meeting, like, man, who the heck is it? Man, I know this guy from somewhere. They'd call him during a meeting, and he'd share it, and I'd be like, man, daggone it, man. He got a job now, and, and talking about his family. Man, he used to make me so mad because uh, he was getting sober, is what it was. I was jealous, and, and I wanted that. I just didn't know how to go about doing it. and So I'd been in out of AA, and I was getting locked up a lot. It just seemed like I couldn't cross the street without getting locked up there for a little while, and rightly so. you know. And uh, to this day, I'm grateful for those chances. It, it was I shared, I do a meeting in jail. I've done that for years. And uh, this past Thursday, the guy asked me, you know, what did you get out of jail? And it didn't take me but a split second to answer him. I said, the hours and hours I would spend with nothing to do but just thinking. 
that that was the punishment in jail. It wasn't that I couldn't go out or see my family or eat fast food or, or go see a movie when I wanted to or I had to eat. What, that wasn't a problem. It was <coughs> sitting in my head all those hours that was the problem. That was torture. And that's what I got out of it. I don't want that no more, brother. Stuck inside my head. And they all, man, when I said that, man, they all got to lighten up. And uh, so I ended up going to outpatient treatment. Uh, I had quit drinking tequila for 18 months because somebody in AA told me about controlled drinking. And to celebrate my 18 months, I went to the bar and had some tequila. And I uh, had a seizure, tore up the bar, uh, tried to bite off my tongue. Uh, I had fell out of bed. And, and, yeah, it was a mess. Uh, another moment of clarity. It dawned on me. I laid there for hours because I had to pee really bad, and I couldn't. It just, it, it, muscles all tightened up. It seemed like forever. And uh, it dawned on me that I couldn't holler for nobody. Nobody's really going to come help me, you know what I mean? It's Jim doing what he does, man. He wants everybody to leave him alone anyhow, man. So we'll leave him alone, you know, and, and that was, that hurt. It dawned on me that I got my wish. Everybody's finally leaving me alone. And I don't want to be alone. You know? So uh, I was going to outpatient treatment, and uh, my tongue was swollen upside my mouth. And many of you know I like to talk, man. So it was torture having to shut up and listen. You know, it's not my area of expertise. And uh, whew, the, I come drinking and using six weeks in a row and I just figured I was going back to jail that's how the game's played you know and I'll, the lady God bless her Robin Kinjorski was running the place and uh, she caught me at the door she's got this list in her hand Mr. Lusby uh, you know what you had in your system last week I remember why don't you tell me you're the one with all the answers you got it right in front of you you know what I mean she's like she's a big girl taller than me like two feet and she'd come out and she'd be like, she'd start down the list. And every now and then she'd look for my reaction. And when she got to, well, the alcohol was the first thing. She told me my point level and my drug levels of the different stuff. And she got down to heroin. I was like, hold up. I had never touched that stuff in my life. I'm just a drunk. But I learned here in your meetings that alcohol impairs our judgment. <laughs> can't i don't even remember doing that once i get into a blackout everything after them thir that third thing is out i have no idea if you put it in front of me and i can it's going in me and uh she's just like ah jesus and she starts hollering at me and screaming and all and i hate that i hate that and uh i i, I can see the i'm looking up and i see the top of her teeth and that thing in the back of her, it's just wiggling around in this vein in the side of her head. And I'm like, man, she's gonna, she's lost it, man. And uh, she's poking me. She rah, 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 rah. And I'm like, oh, no, you don't want to do that. <laughs> and then when she did it the second time, my, my thoughts were, I'm going to have to punch her. I don't want to leave a mark, so I'd better, I'd better punch her in the neck. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm all ready for it, man. I'm like, okay, punch her in the neck, run out the door. And, uh, and I know that's not the manly thing to do, run out the door, but she could kick my ass. So I'm not. Uh, I, and she asked if I thought I might need some help. And it was like, uh Kind of like that first step, breath of air, you know, just releasing it all. I was like, uh 
Yeah, I do. In that seizure a week or so before, I laid there with nobody but uh, Jim and, and God. If he was around, I didn't know. I just asked God for help. And there he was, that woman standing in front of me with the vein bulging out and that thing flopping around in her head. Yeah. And uh, I, I did. So uh, I ended up with, going into rehab, and AA was bringing meetings in just, just like we do now. And I was here in AA, and I've been from AA from Boston to Texas, Tennessee, Virginia, Carolina, California, man. And I'm pretty sure you all talk about that big book, uh, these steps and sponsorship and service but I didn't need it until the day I needed it Dennis my friend Dennis uh, from my back to basics home group shares that I wasn't an alcoholic until the day I was an alcoholic you know until the day it applied to me it didn't apply to me but that day it did you know I remember uh, uh, somebody coming into the rehab that I knew from out on the street sharing and it just pissed me off but it, it boggled my mind that this guy could smile man you know, he was so happy about himself, and I'm not, and that's not fair. And usually what happens was if I wanted what you have or if I was envious of you, I got mad at you and I hated you and I'd attack your character and I'd come up with all kind of clever tricks to keep myself from you, you know what I mean, try to make myself feel better than you as opposed to doing what you do, you know. But I got out. I got a home group. I made back to basics, my home group that Monday. I got a sponsor that same day. And they had a group conscious. I didn't know what that was. It was a, they, they, J, Justin said, sit here at the head of the table. I'm like, what? Okay. And all these people were standing around, rah, 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 talking in words and language I'm not used to. And because it's recovery stuff, I got nothing to do with that. And uh, we need a chairman, Justin. He'll do it. Everybody want Jim to do it? Yay. I'm like, what just happened here, man? That's, it's like my wedding night all over again. <laughs> Jesus, God. I hope I get pictures out of this. And uh, he says, uh, you're the chairman. You show up here next week at 7 o'clock. Anthony here will show you what to do. Okay. And I remember we talked for a little while, but I'm going up the steps and I'm thinking, they need me. I'm the chairman. I was so happy, man. I didn't even hit the steps. I just floated up them, man. I was going up and, uh, and I'm thinking, they need me. And, and honestly, as I kid around about it, it was a really good feeling. It was the first time in a very long time that I felt welcomed anywhere. And uh, those of you that don't know, chairman ain't really a title. It ain't like chairman, CEO, CFO. It's just a, a drunk that shows up an hour early and sets up chairs at Back to Basics. That's all it pulls down to, man. <laughs> ain't a whole lot of glamour and glitz to it, and the women ain't knocking people down to get to you. You know what I mean? Uh, but... Uh, all right, my sponsor knew where I was on Mondays at 7 o'clock, and, and so did a lot of other people, and they'd come early, and we'd get to talking. And I started going through the steps, you know. Uh, not a whole lot of thinking involved. A lot of it was in my head, but it was just, okay, you know, you tell me what to do. After I asked this man to sponsor me, it was sort of like that breath of fresh air when I told Robin, yeah, I think I need help. I was just like, all right, man. And I sure had the things running around in my head. When, he, when we start talking powerlessness and unmanageability, I'm thinking, I'm a man. You know, how can a man be powerless over an inanimate object? It's impossible. And he, he would look right through me and we'd get to reading anyhow. You know, I always had my three questions that I would throw out there to see where he was at. And he'd just, like, two of them he'd ignore. One he'd, yeah, whatever, dude. Good luck with that. And uh, so he had me read the big book. 
thank God, because, uh, you know, I was trying to put it on a personal level, you know, with him, you know. And uh, he kept telling me, stay in the book, and we read the book, and I, I got to that line where he asked the reader, that it suggested a reader that he has to concede to his innermost self that he's alcoholic, and it says that this is the first step in recovery. And uh, that made sense. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, I'm trying to think myself right out of here, man. I'm really not good at thinking, you know. And then when I act on what I think, it gets even worse from there. And here I am thinking, what's powerlessness and unmanageability? I can sit here all night now, especially when I'm working with new guys, and I can, you know, I've got definitive answers. I, I can show you through my life, and I've shared many of them today, where I was powerless over alcohol, and my life was unmanageable. You know, I didn't choose alcohol over this stuff. It, I was powerless over it. I didn't want to drink after I did that to my wife. I didn't have a choice. It was, I had... I was beyond that point. Uh, of course, my life, I thought, was manageable. You know, It was very manageable. I mean, the state, when they would manage it, it seemed really easy. They had a system in place telling me when to get up, when to go to the bath, and everything, and it worked. But uh, it just nine times out of ten, it wasn't me. Any, t- any spurts uh, of reasonable happiness in my life weren't because of me. And then, and then I was asked to admit to, to another man that I was insane. And, you know, when... when when he said that in step two, and I'd read it, and for those of you who haven't, it's in, in our book. It, it, I'd read it, and when he said it, it was like, uh, like you know, that kick, kick in the groin again. I was like, come on, man! I just admitted I'm powerless and my life's unmanageable, and now you want me to admit I'm insane? You know, I'm like yeah, crud. And it's, uh, I, I love the guy that helped me out early on to death. Um, I had shared some stuff with him. One was the episode with the, with with my wife. I was like, I needed to get that off my chest. I wasn't going to wait to the fifth step. I didn't know what the fifth step was. I just knew I was going to throw that out there and see what happened. And uh, so I'm, I'm talking about it. I remember he's got a couple guys near him, and he's talking, and then he'd look at me and say, Hey, aren't you the guy that uh, gets drunk, tries to kill his wife? I mean, no, I shouldn't have shared that with you. Yeah, and uh, and a couple of the other things he said, and he said, and that sounds like reasonable sanity to you. I was like, go home and read. And he said, you know, when you get up into forty-seven, why don't you give me a call? Dang, that's all right. You know, I had these things running around my head, but it was always all right. Dang it, I'd leave out of there if my feelings hurt, because anytime somebody told me what to do, I get my feelings hurt. And part of me by now is thinking, when this blows up, I'm going to throw it in his face. You know what I mean? No, oh, this is going to end up bad. This is how killing sprees get started. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me on that one. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, so I come to him. All right, uh, I'm there. I'm willing to believe in this power. I, I was looking at the insanity and not the solution is what I was, that word insanity. Uh, for me, it's just become that... Uh, higher power in my life would, would re- restore me of this monster that I thought I had, this this need to have to take a drink every time I can't handle a situation, you know. It's just not same thinking. For me, knowing where alcohol takes me, to pick up that first drink is just insane. And then if I, if I got a spiritual condition in my life, that that wouldn't happen anymore. It was explained to me early on that this is a spiritual program, you know, like it or love it. I mean, like it or leave it. You know, I, the choice is mine. If I don't want to get spiritual... Do what I want to do, but if I if I want a recovery from alcoholism, this is how we do it. You know, and I like that because there was no gray area with that. 
and then he had me read 60 through 63, called me every night, we'll talk, and I read it a dozen times, I read it slow, and I still didn't understand it, and then one night I got to the, uh, this, I believe, the seven most important words in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, um, and it's offered up to us by virtue of the third step prayer, it says, relieve me of the bondage of self, and uh, I read that, and uh, whew, a light went on in the dark, is the best way to put it. I hate to sound all Hallmark cardish, but uh, that's exactly what happened. It was like click, right? I don't, you know, I don't want to be me no more. When I was laying on that floor, man, I was the last person I wanted to be stuck there with. I've laid in jail cells for months, just thinking, man. I I had a guy once argue with me in jail. Oh no, he was going on about his wife this and his house is running into the ground and all this stuff, man. After a month or so, that's I'm like, dude, just shut up, man. I would trade places with you in a heartbeat, man. You have no idea how bad it is out there, man. Let me tell you a little bit about my life, slick. I'll take yours any day, man. He's like, oh, hey, you don't talk for two months. Now I don't want you to talk to me no more. He said, right? and he didn't. We didn't talk. Yeah, give him the nod. Yeah. That was about the extent of it, man. And and I was I was being honest. I would take his problems any day. I believe he was in jail for like holding a kilo of heroin or something like that, you know what I mean? And I wanted to be in his shoes. Yeah, that's sad. But that's what my life had come down to. I just didn't want to be me no more. And I, I just wanted to be somebody else. I got tired of waking up with me, going to bed with me. Just couldn't stand it. I mean, I had the old Charles Manson phase of the hair and the beard. And honestly, even though I, you know, I had read the the books and all on him, I really had that going on because I couldn't stand to look at myself in the mirror. The idea of shaving and all that, it just wasn't there, man. I just did not like looking at myself. I would look at myself in the mirror and be like, who, who, I don't even know this guy. You know, I have no idea who he is. You know, and uh, so I took the prayer, and uh, something happened. I don't know what. You know, I just know this much is, uh, I called my sponsor up, and I was all, I, I took the prayer, man. You know, the skies didn't part and all that other stuff, but I just feel better, a little bit better, but a little better than I did yesterday, man. You know, you come into meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous, and you hear some people talk about sudden and profound changes in the third step and that's great it just wasn't my experience it was just enough god gave me just enough and uh so i started in and you know i went to my sponsor i never forget because i come in you know and i'm all happy and doing a little dance i did my third step (laughs) let's do the four step slow down man hold up here just a minute smoke hang on and then he points me to the big book you know, it would have it would have little or lasting permanent effect unless at once we were willing to face and be rid of the things which had been blocking us. So, you mean there's more? <laughs> and uh, as much as I would, with this with the sarcastic comments, is uh, I did it. He'd say, you know, here's what, here's the first two columns. This is what you're going to do. And I go do it. Okay. You know, and I started writing out my inventory, man. And I saw, you know, I started with. He said, go back as far back in your memories as you can. And I remember, here's the irony, uh, the man that sits next to me at my Tuesday meeting was my first resentment in uh, elementary school. Uh, it took, he banged me and David Ruby's head together in front of the girls on the playground, man. And I remember, I had heard everything, man, my pride, my self-esteem, everything, man. And I went on through there, and I went on through my family and my wife and all that stuff. And, and it dawned on me that into my late 30s, I'm still reacting the same way 
is when Eddie Jordan banged my head in the playground when I was like seven years old. I had no idea how to live life or to deal with life on life's terms. And I saw some of the things that I had done, and, and I was a up and down emotional-wise. A lot of crying was going on. You know, one minute I would look and I'd have a smile on my face. Some of the things happened with my dad. You know, I've got a lot of fond memories of my father. love him to death and uh, and beyond. And, uh, and But then I would look at some things and be like, I can't believe this. My, my brain was had taught, was programmed, that when something really bad happened, it was the end of the world. And I drank a whole bunch. But then something else bad happened and I'd forget all about this thing. And, and now for the first time in my life, it's all down in front of me in black and white. And I really didn't like what I was looking at. I was ashamed again. And, and my thinking was, you know, how is this supposed to keep me sober? You know, I feel worse than when I came here. I believe, my personal opinion, I found my bottom in the fourth step. There it was right in front of me. I was looking at this and I was like, here it is. In black and white. I can't deny this, you know. And I went on about the steps and I was looking at my part of it and that got to be worse because I'm seeing now, man, you know, my mom, here's a, a little story. My mom, when I was four years old, I was sitting in the middle seat. My dad, she had ran away. My dad went to go get her, found out where she was and threw her in the car, literally. And we drive down the road and it's like 30, she gets up to like 35 mile an hour and I could see her hand on the doorknob and I'm just looking at her and she jumps out. And uh, I'm thinking she can't stand to be around me. That hurts her so bad to sit next to me. She's willing to jump out of a moving car to get away from me. You know, so I carried that resentment for a long time. I mean, we ha I had a relationship for my mom on weekends, on, on holidays, maybe two weeks in the summer. If you, you know, but it wasn't a healthy relationship at, at all. Because th this is going through my head. You know, what's changed? You know, you're doing this because you're supposed to do this. You know, and then I realized by looking at the ninth step, the whole picture that uh, my dad was a violent drunk, just like me, and, I, and it was killing my mom to have to do that. It was probably I can imagine now how hard it had to have been to jump out of there with me there. It, without me there, would have been a no-brainer. I'm gone. But when she left, she had to leave me behind to save herself, and, and I don't blame her. But when I went, when all this, when God gave me that clarity and insight with that situation, I was a mess. You know, damn, I'm 33 years old when I sobered up, 34, and uh, I've wasted 30 years in this resentment. So I went on with the rest of the steps because I saw stuff like that and I said, okay, you know, I have played a big part in this. And not only the situations and the conditions I set up, but the way I reacted to situations, man, you know. So I went on with the rest of the steps, and I shared it with another human being, and, and I didn't share it all. I went on a retreat and shared another part because there was something I, that I just wasn't going to tell anybody, you know, much less an alcoholic because we're kind of chatty sometimes, you know what I mean? And uh, so I went on a retreat, man. I'll never forget it. Uh, Father Tom Weston came in and he says, I'm Father Tom Weston from Oakland, California, and I won't be out this way for about another five more years. So if there's anything you need to get off your chest, I'm the man to see. And I was like, gee, sometimes God just spells it out for you, man. <laughs> All right. Quit messing with me. <laughs> I was going to hold on to that one. And, uh, and there's a line in the big book. We had a little lasting permanent recovery, you know, unless we did this. I'm sorry, out of the 12 and 12, you know. 
Bill always drops lines on you like, you know, hey, that was great, but if you don't do this, man, it's all going to fall apart. So this was running through my head. And so I sit down on the couch, and it's ironic because the couch is one of them kind of at your butts right on the ground, you know what I mean? So I feel this big again, and he's in a chair over me like Robin was, you know, and he's all, I can't wait to hear this. And I shared it with him, and he's like, that's it? Yep, that's it. Nothing. That's it. That's it, man. He said, how long have you been carrying this around? Uh, well, it come back into my memory about two months ago, and it's been there ever since, constantly. He's like, you've been wasting a lot of time. Think of the time you've wasted in your head. He said, let it go, man. And we prayed a little bit, and he said, it's no big deal. You know, he shared something about himself, and he's a man of the cloth. And I was like, mother of God, man, leave the door open, man. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> and, uh... Thank God. We prayed and I went out of there and I was like a foot off the floor. And I just felt good. And I went on about step six and seven right out of the big bulk. And uh, I prayed the prayer. You know, I got up to step eight. And I made a list. And all the persons I'd harmed and my sponsor uh, encouraged me to take an active part in my recovery. He said, you write out the list, the harms you've done, and, and how you plan on making them right. And I was like, oh, that could be cool. I could just put pray for every one of them. I'm going to be a spiritual giant when this step's done, brother. I'll be praying for everybody. And I'm writing it down, and it dawned on me, there's little lines Bill would spit out at you. That, you know, Half measures availed us nothing. It would have little lasting permanent effect. Ah, jeez. Our, our, our sobriety would be precarious at best. Stands out. Man. All right. Uh, and then he talks about it in 12 and 12. We redoubled our efforts. I sat down and I had to go out again. I was kind of afraid of what I'd find, you know, when I went to these people, but I did. I, I wrote down honestly because I went to my sponsor. By now I had to change sponsors, and some of you know why. But anyhow, um, I said, hey, man, exactly what are we doing on this eight step? God is my witness. This is how he explained to me. He said, <clears throat> we made a list of all persons we had harmed. <laughs> all right, man, I got you, dude. Hold up, man. Come on now. And became willing. Ah, oh, I knew this part was to make amends to them all. Ay, ay, ay. So I wrote it out and I put that. And I hadn't intended on doing these amends this way. This is just, okay, if I ever were to get up step nine, this is how I would do it. And he encouraged that thinking. He said, you're not there yet. You're on step eight, right out step eight. So I really was. I was like, I'm going to pray for this person. I'm going to pay this. I'm going to confront this person. I'm going to stay the heck away from this person and all that. And I went to him, and uh, I didn't get to make amends to any of my ex-girlfriends. Sponsorship sucks. And I was so mad. I'm like, come on, man. It's like, any right where they were. He's looking at me. I'm like, come on, man. Throw me a bone, for God's sake. I've been sober now for eight months. And uh, so we didn't. He told me. He was literally, there was amends he wrote out, uh, had me write out, man. And I went to him. I was so scared, like with my mom, man. I said, Mark, I, I, I don't know what to do here, man. He's like, well, write it out. I said, well, I don't want it to be like rehearsed. He's like, this way you get an idea of what's going You want to put these ideas into your head so that when the fear comes in, that stuff doesn't go out the window. Because that's my case my whole life. And, uh, man, true, it was tough. I went there and kept having to run out to the sunroom and all that. And it was tough. I'd go out to the sunroom and pray, and my mom's Al-Anon armed, you know, so she knew what I was getting at, and she let me do it. 
she understand what I was getting at because I explained that to her when I came in. You know, I'm trying to stay sober, and this is one of the things I have to do to stay sober. And uh, I made the amends to her, and I believe I was giving my mom back that day. I mean, my mom, you know, I don't know. I, all those bad memories and all that that I had up here because I put them there were gone. You know, and uh, I won't share too much more, but a couple months later, this is how I knew. We talk a lot about the promises in Alcoholics Anonymous, and some of which you hear read out loud in regards to the ninth step. And I was doing this. I even had to make an amends to my aunt at the, at the bar she attended because I wasn't even supposed to be in there. It's a VFW hall, and I tore it up, you know, and got her in trouble. But uh, anyhow, a couple months later, I, my mom and her husband had flipped a car outside of Flintstone. Uh, the, they were trailing the bike out to Sturgis. And it rolled, and uh, I got the call, you know, come to the hospital, and my sister called. And I didn't think nothing of it. Well, should I leave here and go? No, she says, I'll come pick you up. And then we get in the minivan, because yeah, that's what normal people have, I guess. I don't know. She came over in the minivan. I'm sitting in the back seat, you know, like a little kid again. And <laughs> I step, my, my brother-in-law's driving, and I'm, I got all this running through my head, and about halfway through, I, I said, Dawn, what the hell is he doing here? He's not even family, man. What do you mean? I said, Brian, what's he doing here? He's got nothing to do with this. Because I'm mad. I got my feelings hurt. And I'm upset. So I'm looking for somebody. There's nobody else in the van. I looked around. You know what I mean? <laughs> he was it. And uh, he looked back. And he drove for another minute or two. And he said, you want to know why I'm here? Uh, yeah. He said, I'm, I'm here to keep you from beating up your stepfather. I'm like, What? Like, yeah, we, I know you're, you're, I know how you are, and, and your sister's filled me in on you, dude. I'm like, dang, go on, man. That hurts. That stings a little bit, but he's right. It dawned on me that he's right. You know, the old me would have gotten there, and I don't care what condition Ray would have been in, I just laid him out, man. You know, and I got there and I prayed the rest of the way there, and uh, I got my my mom and them had been released from the hospital and sent to a hotel room. Now, Flintstone's a real small town, and uh, they were banged up pretty good, man. And uh, I got there, and I was able to just can comfort them and talk, you know, my sister and all, talking to my mom, and, well, what happened? And we're going to sue the trailer company and all that. And I was like, hang on here, man. We should just enjoy the fact that uh, mom's still alive and spend time being a family, you know. And that's when I knew something profound had changed in my life. Because I had taken that third step prayer and I'd set up the conditions, mind you, because uh, I was there for them. I hadn't been done that in a long time. And I made amends when I made my amends to my mom. I said, if there's something, you, anything you need from me, you let me know. And the neat thing is, I hadn't said like five words to Ray, part of my language, but he was, in my mind, just the bastard who married my mom. He wasn't my dad. He had no part in the family. So uh, I hadn't said five words then. But uh, when he came up to him, I was there, man. He had his arm in a sling, and I got him back. I got all his possessions out of the car. I got the car straightened out and towed back. Got him back home and her back home. And they live out on Eastern Shore, man. And I stayed with him, you know, for almost two weeks. And they got a grass that's about as big as Utah, the way I see it, man. I look out there, I'm like, man, I'm going to start cutting this stuff. By the time I get to this side, I'm going to have to cut that side again. <laughs> <laughs> And that's exactly what I did. Yeah, I mean, I just, I'm pretty convinced I just kept driving it around in circles. 
and I ran into the neighbor's garage and I broke the blades off on the one side of his lawnmower and I and I apologized. I ran into the neighbor's garage, man. I'm not really good. I'm a truck driver, but lawnmowers aren't the same. You know? <laughs> and I uh, and it's way off too, man. I don't know what happened, but I apologized to the neighbor, man. It felt this big again, and uh. I, I fixed the lawnmower and I helped Bray out, you know, and uh, I got to talking to this guy, man. You know what? He's incredibly human and he's a really nice guy. And I saw in him what my mom saw in him, you know. Why? Because I, I set up the conditions, you know, I, and I made myself available. Alcoholics Anonymous taught me that. I, uh, I was given a stepfather through the ninth step, you know, and he's a good friend of mine. And interestingly enough, his son's a drunk, you know, and, and I've been there. And he's come to my anniversaries, and my 40-year anniversary, I asked him if he wanted to share something, man. And this is a tough guy, a farmer from the Eastern Shore, man. He started to cry, man. Told me he loved me. You know, that's a big deal for me. You know, when I come around Alcoholics Anonymous, I didn't feel, I felt like squat. I felt less than. And, and I didn't love myself, and I didn't love you, and I, and I didn't want the people to be around me. You know, I just, and I, and I, I needed help. And I got much more than that. You know, I got my family back in my life. I, I got I got friends. You know, I got sanity to some extent. <laughs> That's questionable still. But anyhow, um, so if you're new here, you know, a lot of what I, I've been talking about, you haven't heard me mention, you know, the fact that, you know, don't drink, don't drink, don't drink. You know, it, it's turned into much more than that for me in my life. It's about a quality of life issue. And I, I believe the quality of my life is where it's at as a result of, of the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I come around and I, a lot of what I was saying when we were going through the steps, my theme was, what in the heck does this have to do with staying sober? And I know today, everything. It's got everything to do with staying sober. So if you're interested in a new way of life, please get somebody that's, that's been through that book and has got some experience and, it's, and take you through it. That's what I did, and that's why I'm still sober today. So that's enough out of me. Thanks for letting me share.